Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Could your home, work, and outdoor living space be toxic and full of dirty energy? Is it affecting your health? Have you been feeling fatigued? Well, today on this episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs, we're going to be talking about electric and magnetic fields, dirty electricity, RF and microwave frequencies, and oh so much more with our special guest, Scott Compton. Stay tuned, but first, a word from our sponsor. Nurses and nursing students, all healthcare workers really, we have a lot of documents to keep up with, and unfortunately, care facilities don't help much. That's where Nurse Backpack comes in. This app is great. It's easy, it's free, and now you can carry all those licenses, credentials, records, and things your workplace wants on your phone. You can even add work history and other records like CEs. To add or update your info, type it in or photograph the docs front and back. It's really that simple. And then all you have to do is set reminder dates for expirations and renewals. You're putting a lot in there. So Nurse Backpack is already secured for you. Plus you choose when and if you share your resume. You can send it to yourself, your manager, or as a job application just with a few clicks. You're not a filing cabinet. You're a healthcare professional. Don't let paperwork cause mischiefs or worse. This is the most complete document assistant you can get for healthcare. It's an app and it's free. Download Nurse Backpack today. Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Scott Compton. Hi, how are you doing, everybody? <laughs> cool. So how is it going? Well, it's going pretty well. Um, you know, I'm glad it's May first, so we're uh, yeah. We're already approaching spring, uh, getting more sunlight and all that coming in. I'm, I live up here in Oregon State, so, you know, it's it's raining a lot of the year up here. So it's nice, wow, to, get, yeah. nice to get towards summer, yeah, for sure. Yeah, neat. So tell us about yourself. Well, um, I don't know. Let's see where to start. I, I have a bachelor's. I know, you, do, you do a lot yeah. of stuff just like me, which I love. I love people who do a lot of stuff like me because people think I'm crazy and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not crazy. I have a tribe. Watch. You'll meet all my people that, you know, do crazy stuff like I do. So <laughs> exactly. go ahead. So um, back, uh, let's see, back at, uh, in my college years, um, I got a bachelor's in biology from Oregon State University. And then after that, I uh, moved down to Stanford University and worked as a biologist on campus for four years um, at Stanford doing, in the biological sciences department. In the summertime, I would uh, work at the environmental health and safety department. And all during this time growing up, um, I've been into games. <laughs> so I've written my own uh, gaming systems. And like on Stanford University campus, I, I uh, got into creating games with other students on campus and wrote my own uh, role-playing game and had it published. Wow. And, and yeah, it, it really only sold a, a, like 10,000 copies. It wasn't that a big production, but it was enough to kind of get me, um, you know, like looked at from different companies. And at that time uh, I was interviewing, um, I, I interviewed for a video game company and for the last like 24 years, I've been a video game designer in the video game industry, making all kinds of games, games that people might've even heard of. 
like Shadow of Mordor, uh, you know, Parasite Eve was my first game back in the day, and that's pretty reputable. A lot of people back in the 90s know that game. And just like through the years. So um, so as, as I was a video game designer, I made biology my hobby, instead of like the reverse of it. Yeah. And, and then wrote some other role-playing game systems, even during that time as a video game designer on my own and kind of self-published. But I've always also studied a lot of biology, a lot of quantum biology, a lot of biophysics, like through the years. And my story kind of takes place, um, I would say about midway through my career in video games where I started losing my vision, my, my oh, eyesight. And right. I started getting these spots because, you know, working in design, you're, you're behind computers a lot. So right, right. like for sometimes 12 hours a day, but, um, you know, at that time, you know, a lot of people don't know about, didn't know about the blue light toxicity from their screens back then. And of course, like the last three years, a lot of the world's awoken to that now, but, um, also the CRTs and the other screens used back in the day would emit other higher radiation levels. Uh, just the time on tech and away from nature, away from the outdoors was kind of my life. And that took a toll on me, you know, back in, back in through my video game career. So, uh, and I, I kind of like as a, was aware of it as well, like working in games and started doing things to like, okay, what do I do here to like manage my time outside of my gaming life? And then, you know, to make my health better. So uh, in 2002, I, I trained and ran a marathon and that really helped tremendously. And I realized now in retrospect that that really helped because I got up at like what, five o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. with the sun and ran around the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, <laughs> right? Yep. And done it and many times. Right in your dig. Yeah. Right in your area there. And then, uh, then after that I joined a gym and I realized my eyesight and my, my health started to deteriorate again. So then I went back outside again to run, run outside and I realized everything got better again. I'm like, okay, why repeat, why repeat the bad and keep doing what works for me, right? Just my experiences. So I look back on that time and I realized that um, when I was doing the running, my circadian rhythm was really on point. I was going to sleep after dusk, not like really staying up late. I was waking up really early in the morning with the sun. I was getting outside a lot, you know, getting more oxygenation, like through my lungs, everything else by doing the aerobic exercise. And when I was working out, for instance, at a gym, typically I'd work out after work, maybe like nine, 10, 11 at night. Right. So like the whole way I was cycling was just unnatural, like working out at a gym versus working out outside under sunlight. And that got me really into quantum biology and biophysics. Like what is happening with outdoors, the sun, the frequencies of the sun, all the other frequencies I'm, I'm digesting in addition. Yeah. To, you know. And uh, so I guess that's kind of my, like where I started really starting to look into the EMF side of everything. And this is like over 10, you know, almost 15 years ago, but really got into it 10 years ago. And like in the last eight years, uh, I per, bought a, a lot of different meters and learned how to use them really precisely and measure the entire electromagnetic spectrum in places and spots to really, really understand all the interactions happening in environments um, that 
at that time, I felt, okay, this is going to affect me, but it's also affecting everyone else. And then it got me thinking, well, we are an environment, like our internal environments are an environment and really, you know, our skin or our immune system, everything else is like the, the entry point into our inner environment. So the analogy I like to use is a fish tank, like yeah, a, a fish is trapped in that fish tank. And if you have a really healthy fish in a fish tank where the water, there's more toxins in the water, what do you expect that healthy fish to do over a long period of time? You know, or maybe you have a mediocre fish that doesn't swim very well and he's just like not working out, he's not weightlifting, he's not running laps or anything, but his water and his environment around him is wonderful. This fish, um, this mediocre fish might survive years and years and years and actually get healthier just because the environment this fish is living in. So that's the interesting thing apart these, of these EMFs, even regular toxins, like we, things we cannot see with our eyes or measure very well without really precise instrumentation. And even our tests that we do only give us a sliver of knowledge of knowing if this is even interacting biologically by, you know, in our systems, you know? So that's, it, it became a point of like, okay, I see that there's definitely some EMF impact on my life in different ways. So talk about that impact. I, I mean, were you feeling fatigued or like working several hours on a computer? I mean, from people that I've seen, like I used to date a guy, he turned into his computer. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. there's a movie that I use all the time as a reference uh, for mm -hmm. the storytelling classes that I teach, uh, which is Stranger Than Fiction. So the main character, Will Ferrell, if you've seen it, he kind of acts like a robot, you know, until he's gotten woken up. And I feel that something happens when you're on your devices all day long, where you're just stuck in your head, and you're not conscious of everything going on around you. So can you kind of touch upon that? Oh, absolutely. You just did. Like, um, that's a really good way of putting it. Like, we are, when we are, like, in our heads a lot, we're not in our heart space. And obviously we know this, we, we interact with other humans. And even when we interact with other people, it's sometimes we're up in our heads and we're like analyzing back and forth. And it's more of a sympathetic rather than a parasympathetic back and forth with people. And our, even, you know, as you know, our, our daily swings try to be this, this ebb and flow of in the morning we wake up, we get that glutamate blast. We get the cortisol blast. Everything wakes us up and to aliven us from our sleep. And we're more in this sympathetic state where we're able to like take on the day, you know, we're like, like gung ho, everything power forward, go, could do it. And then right. later on, later on in the day, we would, you know, ideally we'd want to kind of come back off of that high and then start to relax, wind down, you know, get the red light behind you from the sunlight, uh, just like chill out in the evening. And it's so interesting when we're on our tech and our devices all the time, oftentimes we don't think about weaving that same pattern in with our technology as we're using it daily. Um, we're, people on smartphones, we're gonna be in the habit of just checking online and looking at this screen and having this artificial light hitting our, going into the back of our eyes and hitting our retinal tissues and- uh, Destroying us, your mitochondria even more, right? Yeah, like, like the mitochondria within all those cells way back in your eyeballs, like the molar cells, like all these, like we know studies like from the 80s and 90s that, you know, looking at different frequencies of light at the different times of day will activate different pathways and, and 
you could be mood swings and change your emotions right. for the moment and just do all this that we know that blue light, the, actually it's, it's really indigo light to blue light. You know, people call it like the blue light toxicity when we look at these screens and we mm -hmm. get light from them. It's really the, it's about 425 nanometers to about 465 nanometers is more of the sweet spot, which is like the indigo to blue color spectrum right there. And we know that that's the, um, you know, the light that comes in from the sun early in the morning is, you know, before the, the UVA and the UVB comes in later in the day, it's blue light in the morning that wakes us up. So it's a right. stimulating light, but it's, it's, this is like a um, unpolarized light that comes through our atmosphere. It's not like the artificial frequencies where our artificial lighting lacks a lot of the color spectrum in each individual bulb or whatever comes off of our computer. So it's not only artificially where it's polarized light, it's also light that is missing these frequencies and our bio and our own eyes and our biology is trying to like understand what's hitting us. So if we're, if we're really, you know, getting all these different types of frequencies all times the day and everything's, there's no ebb and flow, then right. we, do, we get into this, like, and I've done this. I mean, I'm guilty of this. I've done this myself getting into, I, I can sit down at the computer and suddenly I feel like, okay, I'm in my mind space. I'm really th thinking, thinking about where I want to go, what I want to do, what I want to look up, all these more analytical thoughts. Unless, right. I, unless I actually really step back and go, okay, why am I on this? Is this healthy for me? Is this good for my heart? Is this good for my whole body? Right. You're um, bringing yourself back into consciousness. Yes. Consciousness, basically, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, like I've seen it, you know, I, I've observed a lot of people on tech over the years and, you know, playing games on tech over the years. And there are different, it's interesting. There's so many genres of games. There are games designed to try to kind of like just sit down and chill out as a game. And what's interesting is the intent, a lot of the intent of the games is to do that. But if you, if you still play it or you're absorbing all this through all these screens, it's like the screens you're pulling it through. It's, it's, it, sometimes it can really get people to be overly excited. And again, it's like this, this dopamine cortisol rush, like all this yeah. stuff is going on. And it's, even though they're like couch co-op games and like, there's just all these other games that are just meant to just chill out on the couch. A lot of times it's like you get, when you actually turn off the game, you realize you're just up here, just like, ah, after the game. Right. And you never really got to the point of just like, just really getting into a parasympathetic state. So. Right. And, and that's a good point you bring up with the dopamine and, and the cortisol, because I want to touch up on something. So uh, in healthcare, you know, we have these computer programs that we use uh, for charting. You know, there's various EMRs, um, electronic medical records, right? right? So on a couple that I've used, and I won't mention which ones, I do know that um, they were uh, made up by game producers, okay? And this is what I've heard. Um, I've actually talked to someone I went out on a date who knew so much about EMRs. And I was like, uh, you make video games. How do you know about EMRs? He's like, oh, because we make these too. And I was like, what? Well, it made sense to me. So I started to look at these EMRs much differently. So after you're done charting, like so let's say you're almost done with a chart, it'll pop up, go, you're almost done. And you're just like, wait a minute. And you get a boost. You feel a rush. 
of excitement and that's the dopamine going through and then you're done and you click you know your last final whatever you sign off your chart and this thing pops up and it says good job you know and it's just like whoa and you feel that rush of dopamine you know and i guess it's because it's gonna make you do another chart instead of you know so that the clinic that you're working at can bill you know for that patient and keep you going instead of you're like, I'm just going to do these charts in two weeks, you know, or whenever I have time again, you know, whenever I get through my 100 patients for the day, you know, so um, can you kind of speak to that? Oh, I can, I can fully speak on this. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully I won't get in trouble, but <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. I was like, we gotta be kind of, you know, uh, I right. bet you a lot of medical professionals, healthcare professionals don't know that. Like, I think the first one of, um, I forget which program it was, but I was there and I was just really frustrated because this thing kept breaking down. Like they had a new version of it. And uh, one of my coworkers was like, you know, this system was made for a golf course, right? And I was like, what? She's like, yes, it didn't work out for the golf course. So now they brought it to us and and we're having to deal with it. I was like, that's retarded, you know? <laughs> and and I, I know yeah. a lot of these people that work in tech, they don't consult healthcare professionals. Do you know why? Because we say no to everything you know, and, and I think that's why they don't bring us on. And I've been to several um, panel events where there are speakers on there and there's no healthcare providers on the panel. And I'm always the one raising my hand. Like, do you guys even consult anybody? Cause you can tell, you know, when I'm on that, I'm very intuitive. I was like, who made this? You know, <laughs> so like I'm always um, asking that question and people think I'm a nut job around me and stuff. I go, because I go, you know, I mean, once you learn them, yeah, but it, is it, but then the next thing's going to come on and then the next thing and stuff. And it's really tedious when you're trying to do good patient care and now you're having to learn these systems. So, mm-hmm. so here's, here's, here's my take on it. And it's actually like three full, this like, this goes down into a really deep layer when we talk about dopamine as well. Yeah. But with with the user with the UX UI interface on any program, any so, any piece of software, like there is design and intentional design built into the UX, the UI, the HUD, you know, the the thing you see on screen that you interact with or things that pop up. Like, right. There's things that like pop up with certain colors certain places on the screen. Yes. And it's and, green. It's green. So like, yeah, even, the one that came up and green is my favorite color. I was like, there's the green thing <laughs> saying I did a good job, you know? Yeah. So. And, and, and the timing, the timing aspect yes. is really important. And this actually stems from, because as I, I told you earlier, I wrote my own role-playing game systems back right. in the day. And the, the games I wrote were paper. Like you get around a table with people and make your own characters and then you like Dungeons and Dragons kind of Dungeons and Dragons and yeah which I actually played first edition back in 1978 myself I was yeah I was I was brought up on D&D but also all the systems that came through in the 80s but I can tell you just from my own experience that those game systems are kind of how we've gotten to where we got today with how everything's laid out and the timing of things so there is a definite um, addiction aspect, an addiction quality built into role-playing games, even back in the day, because 
when you sit around at a table and you're rolling dice and you're waiting for your turn and like you go to attack the dragon or the dragon attacks you and the, 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 the timing and how things are described, the back and forth motion between the game master and the players, this timing element is very addictive and you don't yeah. have to have a, you don't have to have a screen at all. You don't have to have it as a video game, just the role playing game itself. They exist today. There's, hundreds of thousands of players or maybe millions of people who just play games around a table yeah. still to this day yeah. because of the addictive nature of um, what it is, is you feel the autonomy of I'm creating something myself as this character and I'm trying to interact as if uh, this is other extension version of myself. You are in a, you are in a head space, but interestingly enough, you can also be in a heart space uh -huh. in these games. And that's where the, the interface really is crossing over because you can really start feeling how all of it's flowing and the timing of how you can interact in the games really is I think the bread and butter for how we we have the timing of different games developed and then and the UI things that pop up mm -hmm. and to give you little hints and reminders uh, or, 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 or pieces like goals. You've achieved this goal and on to the next thing. Right, so like, right. It's like, trying to get you to do more. I mean, it, 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 it is. really feels like that. And it, and it feels like, here's where it comes into. So inside the role-playing game, uh, there's like this, you know, this ebb and flow that a player experiences. And it gives a player the, the feeling of a relationship, like not only with the character, but with the other players around. So, you know, it's trying to simulate life. And, you know, right. as, a as a biologist, that's what I Maybe love. even a better life, because I feel that sometimes people think they have a very boring life, or maybe they're trying to escape in these games from ordinary life. Like, they don't want to deal with whatever's going on around them. You know, so it's kind of a place to hide in a way. It, it can be for some. You know, in, in, other in other cases, it's just pure entertainment and people can just back out of it on a whim. Other people, you're right, love it for, you know, to escape into a place and to interact in ways that you can like loosen up a little bit. Right. You know, so there, there's, which, which indicates to me there's more of a parasympathetic that can happen, you know, that can get pulled into it. So you have these moments of huge action where um, there's these like, other moments where, okay, every five to 15 seconds, there's, okay, it's something happens, something happens, something happens, which is very much like pop up on the screen, this pop up on the screen, that right, you know, like, right. yeah. So like there's, there's flow that I see, you know, these, these little time capsules. And then there's like minutes, like every few minutes, this happens every few minutes that happens. So it's just looking at the timing of in role-playing games, you have everything, all these elements exist within it. So from my lens, I can see how we've gotten to the place where on screens, we have moments where, okay, the big reward happens after a few minutes or the small micro rewards happen every few seconds. And, and it gets you into, a, it gets you overly into a mind space where now I feel like the whole program's consuming me and it's just, I'm in it. And wait a minute, now I've escaped. I'm escaped into this program or maybe not escaped. Maybe I'm more coerced sometimes into certain right. programs and I can't leave. So this addictive element, these dopamine hits, the little ones, the big ones, the, the huge ones are all like continuously giving me um, a non-escape clause where I can't get out of 
this thing if I'm really sucked into it, unless I, right. unless I can get Cause you're, back cause you're addicted. Space. You're kind of addicted. And unless you get back into your heart space, you're right. I think that's a great point that you're putting into. Right. Uh, and seven. And I think that goes for all types of addictions, even with alcohol addiction, even with, um, you know, uh, watching Netflix and binging, you know, and stuff. You're you're in your headspace. You're really not in your heart space. If you were in your heart space, you'd be like, okay, this is kind of boring. I'm done. You know, I'm good. I, I gotta go do something else. Maybe I'll go take a walk. You know, or, and, or something like that. And and it's also like if you know a person that is analytical minded might might also find some benefits too from going into a simulation like a role-playing game, not even a video game role-playing game, just a, a paper role-playing game and feel it getting like they can feel. So like the analytical mind is typically more sympathetic and more mind space. Right. And, and it might like, you might get into an adventure where it relaxes you and gets you out of that analytical process. You know, you're, I, you're bringing up a, a really good point and I'm going to go take a, a little bit of a left turn here. Like maybe in sexual role play, I find that people get the same thing. Not that I, I study it because I find it very fascinating with fetishes and stuff and where that comes from. It comes from some part in childhood, but that's, they say the same thing in sexual role play. You know, it, it's like you have, um, like I've been doing some research in BDSM because it's just very fascinating to me where you have a master and you have like a slave or a servant or whatever, and you know that you're playing that role, but when it's done, you're done. You know, you both know you're going into another space. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And, and we really, I think as a society overall right now, we are so in our mind spaces. Yes. The way I look at it, we're not like able to make those deeper connections, those more intimate connections, the more related connections where we can just like, just get on the same frequency. As yes. The person, right. That's I think what it is. You, you hit it right there. It's like, you're just, you know, cause I, I find in dating too, like sometimes I'm not vibing with this person. Like I'm in my heart space. I'm here. That guy is up in his head, you mm -hmm. know, and they're usually tech guys. And I hear this from other females too, that especially date guys in tech. Mm -hmm. You know, and I always think that there needs to be a book or something. I mean, I don't know if they're even seeking help, if they even know how to get out of it, you know, or mm -hmm. if they even know that there's something wrong. I've heard that sometimes they are with females or wives that are very controlling. They know mm -hmm. how to control them. They know how to, they're more, more easier to manipulate. So either if they're making big money, mm -hmm. then this, this woman just, you know, th that's what I've heard. I, I don't know you know, personally. Yeah. I, I think it, it can kind of like, you know, over be overly simplified, summed up where, um, you know, each time, each moment of the day too, like varies for the person and, and if how much they're in an analytical, more headspace or in yes. heart space. But like, for me, I like to think of it as like, okay, we're either like Ram, like a Ram where we're butting heads all the time. Yeah. Or we're like some like nice, fluffy animal, I don't know, an otter or something. So like, <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe a, yeah, like, maybe a bu okay, bunny, bunnies work. Well, well, you're from Oregon, so I guess, <laughs> you know, I see bunnies in the desert, so. <laughs> right. So like if, like, if you have a ram to ram and you're trying to make an intimate relationship, you can expect pretty much nothing to happen. But then if one person's the otter or the bunny and the other person's the ram also nothing's going to happen it's like right, both people need right. to be into that like okay 
an open, more vulnerable space. Yes. But how do you get to that vulnerable space? You know, if the other person is analyzing, but really it's, it's how, if we're connecting with ourselves, how conscious are we of our yes. unconsciousness? Right. And are we able to pull back and see what we are doing with ourselves? Right. Look at everything that's there. Look at all of our past. Look at all of our traumas. Look at all of our patterning. Look at right. all of it and, and really pull back and be honest. And it's really scary for a lot of people to very pull scary. back and be honest about Especially that. Especially right? for men, I think, you know, uh, what I'm finding because, you know, <laughs> In our, in our society, we tell men, you're not supposed to feel, you're just supposed to be a strong guy, you're supposed to have the muscles, you're supposed to do this and that, and then it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to show my vulnerability, and I don't even like the word vulnerable, I've been really looking at it, because vulnerable means naked, I like intimate, you know, intimate people will put together as a sexual thing, but that's not what it means. If you look at the definition of intimate, it means just being in a close relationship with someone, you know, and I think we need to change these words around, start using different words so that people can understand. Because vulnerable for a man is, like, I don't want to be weak, you know, right? Because <laughs> society tells them, oh, I got to be the strong guy here. So I'm not going to show you what I'm feeling. I don't even know what I'm feeling. And, you know, is this okay to share with someone, I think. Right. Um, so like, is what I find. So when, when like we're told, like when men are told like that to be strong, you know, a lot of men interpret that as, well, I want to be on the attack or on yes. the defense. Caveman. And, you know, mm. We're on the attack and on the defense. Fight or flight. A, fight or flight. Yeah, you're back to fight or flight and we're back to mood swings. Actually, we're back yes. to EMF. We're back to EMFs at this point, actually, mm -hmm. as well. But we're um, also into uh, this thought of like, okay, well, when we get intimate with another person, we're not attacking the other person. We're not defend, we're not defending ourselves. We're completely out of the fight or flight. We've right. lost that sympathetic. We're in this parasympathetic, more open. Um, it's okay to reveal and to like get closer to like just open up and break down all those barriers and walls. Yeah. You need to write a book for men on this. I totally see you writing something on this, you know, if you're not already working on it, but this is specifically for men in relationships dealing with this, especially guys in tech. I mean, you know, like I can't tell you how many men I've dated lately that are just stuck in their heads. And it's so, and it's just like, it's difficult for me because I'm always in my heart space, you know, and stuff. And as a nurturer, as a nurse practitioner, I just interviewed a nurse, uh, Nate, and he had won this um, beauty pageant in Poland, you know, now he's doing modeling and he's an ER nurse, but oh my God, he was so in his heart space on this interview. And it was just, I can't tell you talking to him, like even talking to you, it's just so refreshing. You know, because it's just like, you know, it's a, it's a nice vibe. It's nice going back and forth with these other guys. It's really difficult. You know, for me, it is. It's like from now on, I'm going to be like, okay, goodbye, <laughs> you know, um, and stuff. But it is really hard to find people in their heart space nowadays. So, yeah. And, and I think tech does definitely plays a role. It also just lifestyle. And that's yeah. part of part of why I I'm getting to my company that I that I created this last year. It's called Lifestyle Hygiene. Yeah, and, tell us about that. So interesting. It, yeah, it involves like like going into places and looking at the EMFs, but also talking with people about, you know, what we've been talking about, about how they're living just on a daily basis or like over the course of um, the, the seasons. Like, are they 
are they even recognizing? Do they even leave their indoor space to see that there's a new season happening outside? They don't. Or, and especially now with all this COVID stuff, like stay inside, you know, it, it's totally messing people up. Right. Right. And, and it, it's true, but like, even during the season, what, what's interesting is I've found I've been able to get out into the backyard and actually cycle better because I don't have any really, my work pressures have also gone down too. I can't go into homes anymore and do my assessments. Right. EMFs, you know, and um, I can do, you know, talks with people, just a little bit of health coaching here and there, mm. or like even EMF coaching, like, you know, saying, okay, how are you going to set up a wired connection in your home during yeah. this time to reduce the, at least the wireless radiation in your place and actually have better connect connectivity because when you got, got a wired connection, I mean, your, your upload download speeds are even better than when you're on wireless. So I like to, um, you know, try to do that and, and, and see about like how my clients are actually working um, on themselves through the day. Like yeah. when they get up, when are they consuming their technology? Are they just on it all day long, all night long, right? You then take it to bed and look at the screens. <laughs> um, do they... Do they try to do they try to block it like some of the blue light um, off of it? Do they know how much radiation they're actually getting around in their especially their the bedroom spaces? Because right. if you're sleeping in it all night long and you have high EMF all night long, like that's eight seven eight hours of the day that you're being you're exposing yourself to it with really hardly moving any position. And at least in the day, if you're on tech, you know a lot of people they feel like after a half hour I just need to get up and stretch walk around, get away, and then come back again. So that movement is like, can be very crucial and important as well, just to, you know, help digest everything that you just take into your body, which is all the screen light, you know, all the artificial light, all the yeah. around you, maybe all the toxicity from everyone else yelling and all the stress in the office around you, true, like true. whatever it is, like we're taking all this in because emotions like our electrochemical events, which are EMFs just on a very ultra weak intensity compared to the EMFs that you know we get off of our technology or the natural EMFs like the Schumann resonance that comes off the earth or the sunlight yeah. frequencies so like all the different types of EMFs around us and how the light is manipulated as they come off of things even the light within our own bodies you know the light in our bodies are called biophotons or mm -hmm. EE which is electromagnetic energy like the kind of interexchangeable um, but like most people have not even heard these terms. Like, no. Like and and this is my, my other thing too, is when someone is having chronic fatigue or they're on their computer all the time, they go see their doctor and they're, they're putting in these complaints. I mean, I don't think physicians are even equipped to educate people on this. Like, this is what you need to do. They don't. And they'll be like, oh, here, just take this pill or, oh, I don't know, take a vacation or drink right. more water or whatever it is. But they they don't, they probably don't even know what the problem is. You know, I, I know with me, I love working in offices where there's a window and sometimes that doesn't always happen. And I know I, I was just working at a clinic where there were no windows and I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to die, you know, where I just took frequent breaks, you know, I had to yeah. go outside and that's my thing, you know, um, yeah. my Palm Springs office, I have an amazing window, so much sunlight there. I can work forever and I don't use a computer there we're still on paper chart so I am like I zoom you know it, it's like I have so much energy it's not even funny and and stuff but um so yeah I yeah I was gonna like 
to take up your point on that, and I've said this to other clients and other people, like I also run EMF Warriors, like online and on on social media. What That's is that? Kind of been my, um, it's a it's just a giant like place online where you should you can go and talk about you know, all your EMF issues that you're having. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, people talk about like smart meters or like how to set up their wire, their wireless router to wired, um, what's going on with the new 5G stuff and what's rolling out. And, you know, I have to be very as honest as I can. And, and I, and I look out for all of humanity. Like I look out for everybody out there that is, is being affected by EMF, but I also look out for the industry that's out yeah. there, the people in it that don't know what they're doing, that have only learned a section of the science, I try to educate them. So it's really about educating on all fronts and really looking at the whole scientific literature, yes. not just cherry picking from it, because that's, that's I think, how we got into the situation with the whole EMF side is the cherry picking, where one group will cherry pick that, that meets their goals and needs and the other group cherry picks over here and it's really like we we all need to come together as a society and figure out how we're going to move forward use our technologies in a safe way and just like try to like minimize the impact so we can you know like i like to set up environments again like the whole like i'm in nature yes and when i'm inside like you're saying like having well they were trying to yeah they were trying to um design hospital and clinic spaces like that as well where there's more open space and there's green more greenery there's a place where you can go outside where patients can go outside uh there's a there's a water element somewhere you know maybe there's like a fish pond uh and stuff and i've seen some of these like saint joseph's here in uh, burbank has something like that um but I, I think it's just very slow process i mean children's had something like that too uh, but not really. I know they added more light space, which was great. Right. Uh, but, it, you know, yeah, we so need that. It's so healing for that just being in nature. So like doctors diagnose patients, they don't diagnose environments, right? <laughs> that's, just, so, that's a good point. So yeah, build, what, a building biologist diagnoses the environment for the patient but rarely does a patient even think that, oh, I need to go to my building biologist to look at what I'm living in every day. Right. And doctors, many doctors are, have awoken to the EMF issue. I mean, it's becoming more widespread. People are talking about it more and more because a patient that looks like they're healing might go back into a space and be like, I feel that when I'm over here and standing here, yes. I, I feel bad with my Lyme disease. Or with my chronic fatigue or with whatever they have. And right. then and then they're like, if I if I if I stay over here, I know it sounds totally weird, like I'm I'm off my rocker, but when I'm over here, I just feel good. Right. So when I go into spaces, I could show them on my meters. I'm like, this yeah, is yeah. why you're feeling bad in this space. Because right. look at this EMF source in this space. And, right. and so like I get to, I've gotten together with a lot of doctors and health practitioners and other people over the last year specifically with lifestyle hygiene company and even measured doctor's offices for them yeah patients to, to see okay maybe it's better you put the patient over here in this space and don't have them exposed near a circuit breaker panel or near right. some other wireless router or even the phones like a lot of the wired wireless phones yes throughout all of society like those those deck phones or those like you know wireless phones like those are like mini cell phone towers inside yeah. of places. Like oh my gosh. They emit so much intensity of EMF 
um, now there's the intensity aspect of, of frequency, but there's also like the waveform, what you do it, how you manipulate the frequency. You can make it more jagged, not as sinusoidal, not as smooth. Like you can make it like just all choppy, right? And that choppy right. aspect is in the science, a property that can be damaging, more damaging to your health as another property that can make your health, um, your cells like more reactive to like more biologically active to a frequency. So that's where kind of the rubber starts meeting the road. You start getting into these little details about, well, how does a frequency, how would a frequency from a, from the sun very like differ from a frequency from either, you know, a cell phone tower or your wireless right. router? Like, what does that look like? Like when people start like looking well, at the Well, isn't it a different energy? It's a different type of radiation, correct? And it's, and, and it's, and it's also um, kind of like it, why we we're talking about the artificial lighting before it's also mm -hmm. missing a lot of frequencies with it. So like, imagine if you're in sunlight getting frequencies, everything's more color balanced. But if you consume, right. a, if you consume one frequency at night without the sun, your body's like taking in all of this, just one frequency and nothing's color balanced. So right. the body, so what is like, we have to, we have to ask the question scientifically, what is the body doing in these different times of day, especially with our circadian rhythm, yeah. how does it affect our melatonin pathways? How does it affect, you know, like, like, like the park, park, park in one gene, like in Parkinson's or like all mm -hmm. of these other aspects where, um, as we, we know that we, we need to regenerate through the day, clean up all, you know, go through autophagy, mitophagy, all this stuff to keep all of our cells healthy. And frequencies is just another piece of the pie that's coming in that can have like, like who knows, like millions of in different types of impacts on yeah. what one frequency does and what the lack of frequencies do. As we know, like we sit out in the sun under UVB light to make vitamin D in our skin. Mm -hmm. That one frequency UVB has enough power to knock an electron off the cholesterol to turn into vitamin D, where if you had UVA or another frequency, it's not going to do it. Right. So we, we need to start entertaining and really thinking about like, well, what does this all mean in a more complex, you know, part of our biology? And we don't like... The, well, people who have, let, let's yeah. go back to vitamin D for a second for uh, people who don't know what that does to you. I mean, I've had patients with very low vitamin D levels, so they're more depressed, they're tired, they're inside all day long, they're on their devices, right. uh, they're, they can't lose weight, you know, uh, and, and I'm like, you know, they're coming in with all these problems and they're fatigued as well, can't sleep probably, uh, and I go, oh, well, look at that, your vitamin D level's 10 <laughs> right, right. Hey, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm in Oregon. Guess what my vitamin D levels are? <laughs> what what are they? They're, are they low? No, they're really high. They're really they're like, high, they're like 80, right? They're like 80, 90. And the reason, why wow. they're not, the reason why they're that high is I make a point to get out in the yes. morning to prep my skin for the vitamin, the vitamin D. But in the, in the midday, I'll try to at least lay out and get sun several times a week. Off, on all of my body, my trunk especially, yeah. because I want that I want that light to hit down like into my lungs. Yeah. Even though even though obviously the the skin penetration it doesn't go as far, you know, with certain wavelengths of light, I want it to hit like as much of the skin as possible everywhere, so I can get it up. And in Oregon, like we don't get a lot of we yeah. don't get a lot of we have I know. so it's so, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge.
for sure. I mean, I was telling you, like when I'm in the desert, I feel amazing. I mean, there's so yeah. much light there. I'm always outside, you know, um, here in town. I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be close to a lot of parks, a lot of walking areas where I can get out. But sometimes like I get stuck into, oh, I'm working or I'm writing or I'm right. doing a podcast, whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the day's gone by so fast, you know? Yeah. Like you might be stuck in a closet. Right. <laughs> like I'm stuck in a closet right now because the, the gardener and stuff, uh, uh, you know, messed up my space. But yeah. So another study that you do are kids and screens, which is um, something that I started researching in 2017 when I took a break from practice, went back and started noticing that my patients weren't speaking at the age of two, you know, and, it, and it's like I started looking at that and I talked about this with Dr. Deborah Graham Prowl uh, when we did our ketamine uh, episode and how, um, you know, I would bring this up to their, their parents and they thought it was normal. Um, some parents were like, oh, they were speaking really good and all of a sudden they stopped. And so I started looking into this and looking at their behavior. So they were having what's called expressive aphasia. Like they could, they understood what I was telling them, but they were like, rr, rr, rr. they weren't moving their mouths. Okay. Yeah. And so, but then we'd have an an iPad in the room. So they'd go and, and they'd work the iPad. Like they were like a computer programmer, you know, better than their parents. And, and they knew what buttons to push and, and how to make things happen. And I was like, something's going on there. You know, and I had asked my nurse who had worked there for 19 years, what he thought. And he's like, Oh, it's because these kids speak Spanish and English. And like, that's not it you know? Uh, and and yeah. so I went ahead and did some research and I found one research study that was being done at the time by someone in Canada and they had just presented it to the American Academy of Pediatrics and it was, and they were blaming the screens and all these places were going I mean, all these media sites were now um, talking about this study and stuff. And I started giving it out to my patients because uh, I printed the study, gave it out and told them, you know, really no screens from uh, what was it? Zero to almost um, like, I forgot the age range, like three to five, really, uh, you know, um, and, uh, and they thought I was nuts. And I go, you know, this is what you got to do. Cause we, I was sending all these kids to speech therapy and they're like, everybody's in speech therapy. None of the kids here speak. And I was like, gee, I wonder why, mm -hmm. you know? And so once they started weaning their kids off of the screens within six weeks, these kids were speaking again, okay. you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, like who do you believe? Do you believe all this science, all this study, all this stuff that, um, you know, people might, use as cherry picking again like cherry pick like well the screen is benefiting my kid because the screen can do like i can do all this stuff on the computer but then in real life skills just interacting they're it's, it's shut down so right. i think what we have to do is we have to like like what you said look at the experiences the exactly. kids having and if the kid gets off of tech for a few weeks and you see a dramatic improvement you don't have to have any fancy journal scientific anything. You <laughs> know, know what's going on. You exactly. know what's going on. Common sense, right? It's, it, it's, yeah, it's common sense. Right. And, and here, here's, the, here's the other aspect. It's like, like I grew up in a, you know, we, a lot of us have grown up um, back in public school, back in the 70s, 80s, or 90s when we didn't have all this technology. Right. And we can think about We how, social distance normally. 
right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we made her, we were in our homes as kids in our rooms normally, you know, for many years. <laughs> yeah. So like, like to us, what is normal is like 180 now to what is trying to become normal with right. all the screen time. And as you know, the, the first day that you shut down the computer and tell your kid, you know, okay, we're going to start screening. Oh my God, we're going to reduce they're, even a couple like, hours out of the day yeah. for the kid. They are going to be furious, but it's like, they're crack you're addicts. doing them. Yeah. What, yeah. But what are you doing? You're, you're actually helping them with real skills in life, yeah. right? Like you're, you're helping them. They have, you have to help them with coping. Like, yeah. how do we cope with this? How do we like balance our time? Because time management is a big deal. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's time management hands down might be the biggest thing between a successful person or a person that has problems in their lives is just managing time yeah when is the right time to do things and again it gets back to lifestyle hygiene like there is a time and a place for anything whether it's mm-hmm. tech whether it's in nature whether it's all this and one would argue well maybe we're designed to be in nature we're not designed to be exactly in technology, right? right right so but if we're going to live in a society and and, and society is going to like almost like force our hands like okay i've got to get on my technology in order to like go to pay my bills and like do banking and there's like there's gonna be some time where we're gonna either accept as a society this is the way we want to live with all this technology or we're not we're gonna see our my experience with all this is i'm stuck in a password loop i can't even get into my bank and i'm having these problems and it's frustrating and like like nobody's like talking about all of these other aspects that really take away from your experience with tech is as if tech is the magic answer to everything when we know that it's not exactly because of, because we know personal relationships and just human to human interaction is, you know, when you're in your, when you're on your great, like in your about ready to die at the end of your life, do you look back and say, Oh, it was the technology. I love my life. <laughs> <laughs> when you go no. like, no, it's like yeah. my significant other, and yeah, what, it's what the experiences the, the experience I had, I've had with that other one humans. friend, you know, right. and and stuff, or that one enemy that taught me so much, right? Yeah. So, and it's it is those, and it is again, it's that heart space is what we typically think of when we're on our deathbed. We're not in our head space anymore because we we start we start throwing away all that other stuff we knew that was up there cluttering and shielding off our heart space. Right. So yeah, I, I really feel that, um, you know, a lot of us from our generation that's, you know, we're, we're at least like we're born Gen Xers. We, yeah. we saw the whole transition and it's kind of like almost up to us and maybe in the, I don't know, maybe it's also up to millennials, whoever, like to, you know, to the get Gen back Z's, to the point. The Gen Zs are, are really, uh, they're, they're, they're the generation to watch. I think they're, they're coming back, making a comeback somehow to balance this out. So that would be really interesting to see what happens in the future with the Gen Zs, you know, uh, because I think they're coming in toxic and looking for something else. So that that's what I'm feeling, and and so we'll we'll see about that. But it's also very interesting. Yeah. Another thing before we um, finish off here, can you talk about eugenics because that is one of your studies, correct? Not eugenics. Are you thinking? I think I think you're thinking epigenetics. Epigenetics, yeah. <laughs> not eugenics. <laughs> not that's a whole people. other. Right. Not killing people. Right, so, right. <laughs> population control, epigenetics. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, like I like to say just straight out with um, epigenetics is you, you have to start thinking of mitochondrial function at that point because the mitochondria is like kind of like a proxy for the whole epigenetics because really epigenetics is like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to look for expressions that are happening based on my environment. Right. And your mitochondria are like the sensors for your environment. Yeah. And the mitochondria, as most people know, and they were taught, it's like, oh, the powerhouse of the cell, you know, back in their whatever. their Right. Yeah, back in the day, that's what they would teach <laughs> us, and that it wasn't important. But I saw on, like, Gaia, this anesthesiologist talking about it because I think he started getting really sick being inside the, um, the operating room all the time and not seeing any sunlight. So he started looking into the mitochondria and feeding his mitochondria, and he started to notice he felt younger. He had more energy. And so I started to research that too. And it was interesting. So when this whole COVID thing started going on, I was like, I bet I started really looking at the biology of the virus and everything. And what I came up with was like, I I kid you, I bet you a hundred dollars that these people that it's really affecting their mitochondria are fucked up, you know, Mm -hmm. somehow and, and stuff. So I, I can I can absolutely speak to that um, in a lot of different deeper aspects, but I'll just start with um, the fact that your mitochondrial system is like that's where your redox, your 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 oxygenation obviously happens, and you combine you have the output of CO two and water, you know, cytochrome complex four, the complex five, that's where it spins in at the ATPase where you you know make, yes. you make energy mm-hmm. for your body, but in addition to that. Um, as energy comes into the mitochondria, you have complex one, which are like metabolizing glucose. And at complex two is where it's fatty, oxid, fatty acid oxidation. And that's where you process your fats. Right. And we know that complex one is more free radical leaky compared to complex two. Like this, is a no, this has been known in the science for quite a while, actually. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do sustain themselves on a lot of on a lot of glucose, but yeah. they, miss, they might be missing sunlight. So, like, think about where you live. Like, if you live down in the tropics, you're getting you probably if you're out, you have an outdoor life. All the fruit, the mangoes, the yeah, yeah, you know, all the sugary foods are down around the tropics that just growing natural. Now, obviously, you have apples and plums and stuff up here too, and you know, as you go north, but like, you do have like these more rich foods and you know less fats kind of like around the tropics and when people are outside getting sunlight and eating the sugars it's like it's kind of a way to like offset the extra um you know free radical leakage that might be going on in complex one but in like this is why a lot of the keto fat has been going on with complex two because Mm -hmm. in when you are ketogenic you're really tapping that part of it you're reducing the, the activation of complex ones. You're not getting as much free radical, you know, parts that are coming off and creating more damage in your cells because you're not using that complex as much. You're using complex two. But then it's like, we kind of want it all. We, we, we need to get the nutrients from all of our foods. So it's really telling us our environment, what, where we're living and what is happening in our environment is having influence of, on the, how energy is even coming in and what the energy is doing to us is we're trying to generate the energy for our cell to power up, you know, like, you know, a brain cell that might have 
three to 5,000 mitochondria per cell. Right. Like they're really mitochondrial dense, like in your heart tissue and your brain mm -hmm. tissue and a lot of your organs. So we need this. It's like, you need to keep the power. You need to keep the engine itself intact, running, going through mitophagy, which is the cleaning out of the mitochondrial yes. components. And so important. The cell, right. right. And, and just because I think it. that if that doesn't happen, um, because I, I talked about this with, um, Charles Graber, he's an author. He wrote the book called The Breakthrough, and it's on immunotherapy and cancer research, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you go through cell death, apoptosis. I think that if you don't go through apoptosis and you're not cleaning out your cells, your cancer cells that you're always creating, then this is going to happen. I mean, your body will start getting toxic and breaking down, correct? Yeah, the it's basic, like, basic. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's much more complex than that. Well, but. It's, it's true. It's like the one of the hallmarks of cancer is that you're you're stifling apoptosis. Right. Like your your cells can't actually um, remove that, and, and a lot of cancers will actually hijack electron chain transport in the mitochondria. So it just like keeps it going, keeps it going, and then you can't trigger that apoptosis. And that a lot of that stems back even up the line again to melatonin and endogenous melatonin you're making in your body. So like a lot of the, if you remember a lot of the breast cancer studies from, a, from I think the Swedish study in 2014, a lot of the nurses, the night shift nurses had a much higher rate of breast cancer, which I think you can like in looking at the science, you're starting to attribute, okay, I get all this um, circadian rhythm disruption in the night and all this artificial lighting again, this, this, this weird frequency coming in, your bodies can't absorb correctly. And you might get the stifling of apoptosis as a result or, right. or, or oh, lack of melatonin scary. because melatonin is a free radical scavenger to help scavenge out and reduce a lot of these stresses, these oxidative stresses in the body. So like melatonin, like in one study I read, it was like 20 times more effective than vitamin C as an antioxidant. Wow. Right. So yeah, some of the cancer studies even now, I think are using melatonin directly as a cancer treatment. Oh, wow. And, fascinating. And yeah, it is super fascinating, but it makes sense, but it's, it's almost like not solving the problem. Really the problem is why am I up late at night at exactly. three in the morning? <laughs> why don't we like look at the administrations in hospitals and try to get people. So there's some sort of like, I don't know, some sort of shift difference. So people right. can get their sleeps their sleep through. Well, the well they, you know, many of them, um, I used to work night shift back in the day. Uh, and, and it's like, they refrain you from even sleeping. They're like, if you get caught sleeping, people will snitch on you. You'll get reported. That's not right. That's a terrible model. You know, if you want longevity with your staff, you want them to be healthy and stay there and work for you. You need to have sleep breaks or something you know, uh, something to make them healthy. I mean, the physicians can, but the nurses cannot. Come on, that's been going on for years, years and years and years. And, and for me, looking at that, it's almost like a martyr attitude. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. it's like okay, the, the health people themselves know that the lack of sleep is damaging, but they're just going to go martyr through it and like, okay, I'll yeah. go without whatever. That's a typical nurse. That is a typical nurse, you know? And, and I didn't even, this, theory, this concept didn't even come to me and <laughs> that I was speaking, you know, since I was speaking to you just, just right now, it just popped into my head where I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. Why can the doctors sleep? But the nurses cannot. Mm. 
Does that yeah. make it? You know, <laughs> I never thought of that before until just now. It, it's, um, it's it's almost like an accepted social thing, right? Yeah, like within it's like different they think social it's okay. groups. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like then it's a matter of who's the top dog to change it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So that's very, very fascinating. I think I'm going to write an article about that, but, mm. um, and, and tie on, tie in the melatonin and all that, and maybe mm. throw in the breast cancer research. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion uh, to say sure. the least and, and very timely, you know, because I think going into this new world that we're going into, people really need to pay attention to their bodies and what's going on and, and being conscious of that and, and taking uh, control over their own health. Because I see so many of my patients, they expect me to do everything in 10 minutes. Like you should know everything and control my whole health care and everything. And I'm just going to go here and be do whatever I want to do, you know, while you do it all. And I'm just like, uh, I'm just the consultant, <laughs> you know, I tell you what to do and then you could do whatever you want. But if you want to be healthy, live longer and do stuff, you should follow what I say, you know, <laughs> or go to someone else who resonates with you better, you know, so anything you'd like to add? Uh, uh, that's, that's good. I think we should, if you want to get into any more deeper EMF discussion, you know, I can talk, you know, we could do another, we could do another episode. That would be great to bring you on again, uh, in the future and stuff. Where can people find you if they need your services? Um, you can get me at scott at lifestylehygiene.com. So they, or you just go to my website at lifestylehygiene.com. And I'm going to go ahead and put a link at the end of this. Well, thank you so much, Scott. And thank you, uh, nurses and hypochondriacs. Till next time. Stay focused and organized. One way you could do that is by downloading the Nurse Backpack app, which enables you to keep all your credentials in one place and to send it to your nurse manager, your recruiter, or to that next dream job. Download the app today. The link is located in our show notes. The World Health Organization has designated 2020 as the year of the nurse and midwife. In honor of the 200th birth anniversary of Florence Nightingale. And did you know that nurses have an 18-year running streak of being the number one most ethical and honest profession in all of America? Rogue Nurse Media 501c3 is going warp speed into this 2020 year of the nurse. We're sponsoring art exhibitions, murals, networking events, movie screenings, and writing webinars to promote the positive image of nurses in the media. We'd love for you to join our team. We're looking for volunteers and sponsors to help us go forward with this amazing journey. For more information, email us at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. And oh, don't forget to go ahead and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. <laughs>